Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. Before we get into our discussion today, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Brian L., Eric H., at Feeds Explorers, Gordon S., and Mike P. Our guest today is Mark Chalmers, President and CEO of Energy Fuels, the dominant U.S.-focused publicly listed uranium producer. The company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol UUUU and on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol EFR. Energy Fuels also has listed warrants on both exchanges. Mark, welcome back. Good to be back, Andrew. So, Mark, you just got back from Washington, D.C. What have you been up to? Well, the the company um, is is really, you know, deeply involved with uh, our Section 232 petition that we filed in January of 2018. So um, uh, I can't get into, you know, actual details, but, um, you know, we're certainly uh, on the ground um, a substantial amount of time now, uh, you know, talking to various parties with regard to the petition. And and, and for those that are not aware that that was a petition that, that uh, uh, our co-petitioner was UR Energy and Energy Fuels, both uh, based out of out of Denver, uh, that, that, that filed the petition on on behalf of the Section 232, uh, which is basically a law that says that um, you know that the President of the United States has executive powers to deal with um, certain, um, particularly you know focused on commodities or other industries that, that have national um, security significance, and he has the ability to act on, on that behalf uh, with, with, with his executive powers. So where are we at with Section 232, and, and what is the timeline you see occurring over, this, over, say, the next six months or even for the rest of the year? Yeah, well, the, um, you know, it was initiated in, in July. Um, uh, of of 18 and 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 that started a a time clock um, with the Department of Commerce and and they had uh, 270 days uh, to 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 put together a report um, that for a recommendation to the president on on whether they believe that the petition that was submitted uh, does have um, uh, national security ramifications or not. Um, initially, we thought that that might uh, potentially be delayed by the government shutdown, but uh, we believe that that's not going to be the case now. Now, I'm not saying that, that we can say that in absolutes, but, but right now, the, 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 the uh, report is supposed to be prepared April 14th. So uh, that's not a long time away. You know, that's uh, six weeks away, and we believe the Department of Commerce will submit the report to the president. The president then has um, a maximum of 90 days uh, to either uh, take on the recommendations, um, say no, or uh, come up with something else. And and the 90 days on that would it would expire uh, on uh, July 13th of 2019. So we're really on a uh, very tight time frame right now. So Mark, if that comes out on time. Um what are the chances of the uh, 
the Department of Commerce putting out something publicly uh, in April for people maybe to get their hands on and take a look at. Do you see that happening or will this report go sealed to the president? You know, I, I, I'm not, Andrew, I'm not really entirely clear on, on what will be made public or not. Um, um, I'll actually have to get some more information on that. But um, um, but I, as I said, I, I do believe that Commerce will, will finish the report in, in April. And in the case of steel and aluminum, um, he, you know, made a decision. It was like nine or ten days after he received the report. So, um, you know, it, it, it could all be a bit um, uh, fast and furious, you know, coming up in the next couple months. So, but I'm not sure exactly to what level of detail there uh, will be released to um, to the public. I, I think that certainly once the report is in the president's hand, people will know that. But I'm not sure what the, all the detail, what detail will be released. Right. So, Mark, you've got a number of relations with the U.S. utilities. What is? Can you give us a flavor of what the morale is like there? And are there? Do you feel that there's any hard feelings about Section 232 action, or do you think some of them actually understand the situation and know why you're doing it? Well, look, I, I you know, I think I think people kind of, um, you know, there are a number of um, feelings about this. I mean, um, you know, our focus is national security. And, um, you know, the United States of America consumes one third of the world's uranium per year. You know, we are the largest consumer by a country mile. And, um, and, and, and that's, that, that, that's, that's a big issue when you're only producing uh, less than 1% uh, of our nation's requirements. Um, and so we, we're very committed that this is a national security issue. I think the utilities, uh, and certainly we understand that there are customers and we have a long-term relationships with our customers, so this is by no means intended to um, to, to cause them harm, uh, but we think we're hurting more than the utilities. I mean, the utilities uh, still, you know, in many cases are making, you know, multi-billion dollars a year in profits, and this is a small piece of their their, their, their cost structures. But uh, no, no, there are some people that have uh, some hard feelings about this, um, but we believe the U.S. needs a, um, uh, a uranium industry. Uh, some people say, well, hey, we'll just, uh, we'll just get it from our allies. Um, but there, our allies are hurting as well, too. Look at Canada has cut down their production by 50% in the last year. And the only reason production is continuing in Canada is because um, there's long-term contracts that are supporting that production. You know, if there's nothing is done with or, or nothing happens to uranium prices over the next three or four years, I think that production in Canada could actually go to zero if there is no uh, improvement in prices if those contracts expire. So I, I don't know all the details on what the contract structures are, but, you know, whether it be Canada or Australia, our allies are hurting. So with 232, we can't fall back on the allies. Right. And and from a national security standpoint, it's, it's completely obvious. Uh, I think everybody's on the same side of the boat on that one. And with uh, places like Canada, Australia, Namibia, um, none of these folks are happy at these prices and, and, they're, and it's not sustainable. And so uh, I, I think it's a a good piece that's that's going on and um, the whole sector uh, needs 
some kind of a situation, whether it's higher prices or something better uh, to get us above and beyond where we are today and to kind of jumpstart the uh, the industry again. So you're absolutely yeah. right. But I also want to um, say, Andrew, that, that you know, with, um, you know, certainly, you know, we've got, you know, in, in addition to our relationships with utilities, we've got long-term relationships with our producers in, in Canada and Australia. And, um, you know, we, we, we just believe that, this, that, that uh, if ever there was a reason for a Section 232 uh, petition, that this one is ideally suited for the Section 232 petition. So, um, you know, sometimes the squeaky wheel's got to, you know, we'll get the, get the grease. And so we're doing everything we can to communicate that to uh, the administration. And, um, you know, when we're getting what we believe is a, as a solid hearing, they're hearing what we're saying. And, and I, they're hearing what the utilities are saying as well, too. But they ultimately will make the decision. It's not going to be me, not going to be the utilities. It will be the government make the decision on what outcome, if any, will happen because of the petition. So if we have some sort of positive outcome, uh, give the audience an outline of the sequence at Energy Fuels. What's the plan if there is a positive outcome and a quota is put in place? Give us kind of the timeline and the sequence that you would go after to uh, take advantage. Yeah. Well, look, at we. Um, uh, I can't get into all the details, but like you, you indicated, uh, you know, we're asking for a 25% quota of uh, U.S. domestically produced uranium. Uh, naturally, you know, if you decided or if the government decided that that, that was going to be uh, put in place uh, at some level, um, it will take some time to 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 ramp up or re-ramp up some of the production in the United States. Um, you know, that's um, you know still work in progress on how that would happen and how the whole mechanism would work. Uh, you know, we're also pushing for you know buy uh, American uranium. Uh, the Department of Defense basically has to buy a U.S. uranium for their requirements. So, look, it's, um, there's a lot of moving parts here, Andrew. Um, and as I said, I can't go into complete detail, but the, the concept is, is that we need long-term contracts that provide the certainty um, and the sort of the, the long enough time horizons so that uh, investments can be made into the uh, into the sector here in the U.S. Uh, and and that those investments will be at a level, or that those incentives will be at a level in long enough term to justify the investment. So, um, you know, it it, it we, you, you, you can't continue to have the uncertainty. You know, this can't be done like on a on a spot market type um, basis. This needs to be done with with contracts. So, Mark, is there a uh, a setup to where is if if there was a positive outcome, uh, is there already lines of communication already opened up to some potential utilities at this point, or would it be a phone call from Energy Fuels to the utilities, or are the utilities going to call Energy Fuels and say, hey, we want to buy some from you, let's get into a long-term contract, or is that kind of the first step before there's any action done on the ground at the projects at the mill? Look, it's 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 really in the the hands of the Department of Commerce at this point in time. I mean, there are some dialogues that are occurring at different levels, you know, with different organizations. Um, but we have to be very careful here because of uh, antitrust uh, issues. 
And, um, you know, and so, you know, most of the dialogues are occurring through the government. <clears throat> so, you know, as I said, I, I, I can't get into, you know, all the details, but there, there are some discussions occurring, but, but um, you know, most of that's focused the Department of Commerce. Okay, so what about a no action outcome um, from a high level that pretty much is finishing off the uh, the lame horse that's already down uh, in the United States, the fuel cycle going away, the domestic production going away. If if there was a no action outcome, what would then be the focus for the company? Well, I mean, if there's no action uh, outcome, um, I mean, I think the fundamentals for the uranium industry as a whole are are still sound. I think that you know you've got increasing demand and you've got reducing production, so I think things are settling out. Um, you know, on the world front there, um, certainly that would add another element, a time element, which, which, you know, which would be unfortunate. Um, but for our company, you know, we're differently, we, we've got a different placement than, than our peers because we have these other sources of revenue, uh, which, um, are significant, but still not what we're trying to build the company around. You know, we're first and foremost a uranium producing company, but for our case, in our case, uh, we'll continue to push vanadium production, uh, which we're currently producing uh, high-grade uh, vanadium uh, right now. We've made a couple of releases on that front, um, and and that's a, a nice little sweet spot for us in, in the interim. So we will push on. Uh, if it's an if it's a no-go outcome, we wait for higher uranium prices, and in the short term, we'll be producing vanadium. We'll be pushing our alternate feed business, and we'll be pushing land cleanup to generate revenues into the company uh, until prices justify going back in the uranium business. Okay, on the vanadium side uh, that you brought that up, um, how are things going there as far as production and uh, are there any sales uh, at this point? Um, it's going very well. Um, we started up at the end of uh, 2018. Uh, we're still ramping up with the target being uh, 200,000 to 225,000 pounds per month. Uh, we haven't sold any vanadium yet, but we think we're very close to selling it uh, very soon. So we, we, we see that kicking in, um, you know, you know, very, very imminently, you know, in the short term, uh, you know, the prices for vanadium went all the way up to nearly $30 a pound. And then just around the first of the year, they went down to 13, they're up to about, $13 or $17 a pound. So we, we think the market will be um, will be strong for the next uh, year or two. It's a very um, volatile metal. So you have to kind of capture the opportunity when it presents. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're pleased where we are. Um, we were uh, uh, cautious because the way we're recovering this vanadium currently uh, from our tailing solutions, we, we had to do some different things um, because we were bringing it back into the plant at uh, a very uh, lower temperatures and, and it had um, it was was basically pretty well aged because it had been out there in the ponds for a number of years um, and we we wanted to be cautious that we didn't sell vanadium um, you know basically ahead of when it was produced and making sure it met the quality specifications that we needed to sell it so you know we're very comfortable that we've we've we've, we've de-risked this thing technically um, and, um, and now we're ready to start selling product. So Mark, where are we at on all in sustaining costs on the vanadium production now that you're wrapping up? What, can you give us a figure? Well, we, um, 
no, not yet. But um, that's another element that we're we're looking at the cost. Um, uh, you know, we 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 initiated um, uh, our focus on restarting vanadium production when the prices were, you know, probably ten, twelve, thirteen dollars per pound. Um, we felt we had uh, decent margins at those levels. Um, so now the price is up at seventeen dollars a pound. I can say we're we're not unhappy with seventeen, eighteen dollars per pound right now. So uh, there are some uh, we think uh, robust margins, uh, but we want to run this plan a bit longer before we we go to the market and say what our costs are. Okay, let's move on to uh, tool milling. Um, I know there's been some questions on that uh, come in here. Um, is there any progress on on tool milling uh, contracts, uh, and are you still of the opinion that that energy fuels within their own projects can bring enough feed to keep the operation at full capacity right out of the gate? Well, look, the the, the White Mesa mill actually, I don't think it's ever been at full capacity, <laughs> toll milling or not. Um, yeah, we've taken a little different tact with, with the mill. Um, and at this point in time and leading up to section 232, um, you know, we, we have, um, you know, not, um, entertained any toll milling agreements. Um, we we have taken the approach that if, if people want line of sight into the mill, that we'll consider it on a joint venture basis, um, and and that's for a number of reasons. But um, uh, one of the reasons for the joint venture is that it's a very sensitive environment uh, out there now for mining uh, uranium, vanadium ores, uh, particularly in Colorado. And uh, we need to make sure that, uh, you know, we are able to do that, um, you know, with all the permits required and, and um, with the, the extreme scrutiny that's placed on these mines today, much more so than it would have been five, ten years ago. So, so our focus now is that people have uh, good mines that, that they would like to put in production, um, we will look and consider a joint venture. So um, now, does that mean that at some later date, if somebody shows up with, uh, you know, 50,000 tons of ore, you know, 100,000 tons of ore that they want us to mill, would we mill it? And, you know, we might very well do so, but people will be doing that to their own risk right now without a milling agreement. So um, so joint venture, we think, is, is, a, is a more prudent way to go at this time. But we also have some other things that we believe are on our doorstep that we didn't have in the past. For example, if we did um, you know, some of this land cleanup on the Navajo Nation or some of these other abandoned uranium mines that we can potentially fill the mill up with that type of material. And then we don't need to do uh, toll milling uh, or even joint venturing uh, people's ores uh, in the future. So um, you know, we've got other options up our sleeve in terms of keeping that mill um, you know, running at a, um, uh, you know, high utilization level. Right. And with, with the current prices, I don't see that uh, there would be a lot of motivation. And if, if let's just use a scenario, if we're post section 232, but uranium prices are still sub 30, uh, do you really think that anybody would be knocking on the door trying to get an agreement at these prices? Well, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very risky anyways. It, it, you know, to, to start the mill up on conventional ores, we need, um, you know, 50 to 100,000 tons, probably preferably 100,000 plus. 
Um, that's a lot of mining before we start up the up the mill. Um, the the main thing that 232 would do for plateau ores is it would allow us to hopefully get some long-term contracts, which would underpin at least the price of the uranium in those ores, giving us sort of the the the, the line of sight that we're going to have uranium cells for you know several years, and and that takes a lot of the risk out of it. You know, if you don't have, if you have low uranium prices and you have very volatile vanadium prices, it's, it's kind of like playing roulette. And um, but if you can uh, underpin the uranium prices, uh, it's a lot less risky. So uh, the uranium prices probably, you know, underpin 60, 70 percent of the cost of mining and milling the ores. And and so then you only have that, you know, say 30 percent, 35 percent that's open to the market, which would basically be um, the volatility of the vanadium market. Okay, well Mark, I want to twist your arm just a little bit more on this subject on the till milling. If the price of uranium was at 50 to $60 a pound, what would you be, would energy fuels uh, be basically looking at tool milling agreements at that price level, given the projects, given the production, given the situation that the company is in, and with that, uh, I'm assuming that uh, the fees would be much higher at that price level and also more uh, more attractive for the company as well. Is that correct? Well, I, I, I'm still going to drive you back to our objective is joint ventures. Um, you know, we, we, we may do something different, but we might not. Um, you know, the, the problem with the toll milling agreements is we don't want to, you know, basically commit uh, to giving away, you know, space in the mill uh, unless we have, um, you know, well, you know, the, some, some scratch in the game. Now, granted, we can get fees. I mean, historically, the toll milling agreements, very limited amounts of, of ore uh, were, um, what was actually processed under the toll milling agreements, very, you know, very small quantities. So it didn't really have a material impact to the economics of the mill. Um, you know, we might buy some people's ore, um, potentially, um, but I, I just don't want to commit to exactly what we're going to do. If somebody wants line of sight uh, with, with um, you know, line of sight to the mill, um, at this point in time, we're, we're talking joint ventures. Okay. And can you share with us uh, historically what, what the... Uh what the fee has been, if you can share that with us, just looking from historic uh, agreements. You know, I, I, I don't, I mean, I mean, for the toll milling agreements, look, with the, the toll milling agreements, usually the fees were pretty onerous, and, and, and honestly, I, I don't think they're very uh, favorable to those that were trying to, to, to make money off of those agreements. Um, the advantage of a joint venture is we can give a better uh, cost structures that probably ultimately come out to be a better arrangement for um, you know, whoever partners with us um, than these, these toll milling agreements. Uh, historically, a lot of people would get a toll milling agreement and they would just go out and promote that they have line of sight to the White Mesa Mill, but they didn't ever fill that. So, um, you know, by giving out a toll milling agreement, a lot of times you're just giving people a free, a free kick by having a document that says they can mill it and, and the economics don't always play into the realities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I want to move on. Uh, future capital needs. Uh, 
Do you see the energy fuels we'll be offering up at some point, uh, maybe in the near term, say the next uh, 18 months, uh, private placements or rights offerings to raise additional capital going forward? Or do you see at this point that the company is pretty much going to be self-sustaining moving forward? Well, depends on a lot of factors. <laughs> but right. um, look, 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 at I mean, we're, we're going to we're going to try to, uh, you know, bridge yourself, as I said earlier, mainly with vanadium in the first instance, maybe some alternate feed. Um, we, um, you know, we're, we're still building up inventory. Uh, I think we have, you know, we're getting, you know, somewhere in the order of near 400,000 pounds of, of uranium, uh, inventory. Um, if the price of uranium goes up or you get some relief under 232 or whatever, that could be quite valuable. Um, you know, will we go back to the market at some stage? I, I'd say it's probably likely. When, where, how much uh, is yet to be determined. You know, we're we're not really planning to go to market any time in the near term. We've got uh, Andrew, as you know, we've got um, a really strong uh, balance sheet, uh, probably leading balance sheet in uh, you know our peer group, um, and so we're feeling pretty um, pretty comfortable with that. But um, but at the same time, you know, the market can change and. And, uh, you know, that may change your direction. Um, uh, to restart all our mines, um, we're going to need a fair amount of working capital. Um, you know, now a lot of that working capital kind of returns to you once you get things going. But, um, you know, so that may put us in a position we need to raise some funds. But on the other hand, uh, if we have enough inventory, you know, we may go out to, you know, some shorter term debt instrument uh, to, uh, you know, just basically float us for a couple of years while we're getting the cash flow reestablished, you know, line of credit or, or you know, we can pledge inventory, whatever. So so we're going to, we're very comfortable that we're in a strong position to restart um, in, in terms of timing, in terms of quantities, um, in terms of our ability to, uh, to, to, you know, get the money we need to go forward at whatever speed we decide to go at. So with back on to uh, on, on money issues, capital issues, uh, are offtake agreements in the cards at this point? Would that be something the company would consider if the right opportunity came along? Yeah, no, I, I, I think we could, we, you know, we'll consider offtake. Um, um, you know, it, it all boils down to, you know, what, what, what is it? What does it all roll up to in terms of, you know, the commercial aspects? Okay. And on, on equity, uh, private placements, uh, entitlement offers, right, rights offers, uh, what's your take on these kind of different methods of equity uh, deals? Um, do, you, do you like one over the other? Well, you know, we, we, we actually like uh, the, the ATM. Um, we, we, we think that the ATMs are... Um, becoming uh, you know, more commonly used, um, you know, when you start looking at some of these, you know, more traditional, uh, you know, capital raises, um, you know, they can crush the stock. And, and you know, I, I won't name names, but, you know, you can look at a, you know, a few companies where they've crushed the stock, including Energy Fuels about uh, two years ago, we crushed the stock on a traditional capital raise. Um, so we found the ATM to be very effective. We, 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 we rarely use it but when the the conditions are right um, you know you can you can you can turn it on you can turn it off for a short period of time uh, it's quite effective and and you you don't crush the stock 
on it if you use an ATM responsibly, and the fees are much less. You know, um, so you know we, we we personally think the ATM is becoming a, a more important um, a means of raising capital, particularly when you have the liquidity and the interest in um, in the shares. Yeah, I think that has some some components to it that are are attractive, and and for me. Uh, you know, for speaking a little bit for the retail side, I know that uh, entitlement offers, rights offerings uh, can really give folks that otherwise wouldn't be able to participate uh, the option to come in and, and uh, they're already a shareholder and then they can exercise, you know, rights or entitlements to to get additional shares. So I think that method, when, when priced properly, as you suggested, um, can make some sense to get the whole kind of group involved. So... Yeah, no. Look at that, Andrew. I think you got to look at all these things, you know, you know, based on the circumstances. And um, but you know, first and foremost, we want to take care of our shareholders, um, you know, and and um, we have to, you know, that's what we're in business for. You know, they're they're the people that have invested in the company. So, um, you know, we, you know, ultimately we want, uh, like we last year, you know, we had. Um, uh, you know, a really good uh, year, you know, in a down market, you know, most of the market was down, but we were up around 50%. Um, you know, we, we paid down debt. Um, the market rewarded us for paying down debt. Um, you know, the market rewarded us to having a strong balance sheet, um, you know, and, and we were rewarded with the share price. So, um, you know, I, I think I've told you this before, but I've been in this business for over 40 years. I spent about half my career in Australia. Um, I've worked for some very talented uh, people in this business when it comes to some of the biggest, most successful entrepreneurs. And I'm looking at uh, energy fuels. I want energy fuels to be number one this year, last year, this year, going forward, uh, because of you know the the vehicle that it is. And I wouldn't have come back from Australia uh, to run this entity if I didn't think this was the best entity out there, or if it isn't the best, and I think it is the best, it's the second best. So uh, we're well positioned and uh, we are really energized um, going forward. Yeah, certainly, and the company is in a very interesting, unique position uh, in my view, uh, especially from the perspective of the U.S. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens going forward. So on that note, just a little bit, uh, is the company looking at any assets in the U.S. or even globally that uh, would be worthy of acquisition at this point? Is there anything on the acquisition front within the U.S. that you're looking at? Look, I, um, you know, other than maybe some joint ventures, which could be of interest, um, I, I think that if if we get some relief, uh, material relief on their 232, um, I will look for assets outside the United States. Because I think that um, you know having um, a, a larger um, cash flow uh, and, and 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 some profitability, hopefully, um, that's going to put us in a stronger position to acquire um, um, potential properties outside of the United States, particularly those that are, have negative cash flows and they they're they're tired of diluting shareholders or adding uh, you know adding those cash burns onto various, uh, you know, uh, uh, financial instruments on the back, adding to debt to the company. So I think that my, my preference is, is to probably go offshore uh, with the exception of 
of, as I said, a few, you know, laser beam joint ventures. So, Mark, what's on the schedule for the company in 2019? Well, as I said, you know, we're, you know, two, three, twos, you know, right at the doorstep here. The, the clock is ticking on that, focusing on um, on um, the vanadium, uh, pushing that as hard as we can. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're still uh, accumulating alternate feed. We're not actually got it in the, the plan for the year, but that could change. Uh, we're still putting out proposals for alternate feed that uh, you know, pretty can be fairly significant to us over time. We're still pushing Navajo, um, and um, so we're busy. Um, but and, and we're also looking at uh, putting some money into uh, a number of our assets uh, for what we call uranium readiness. So there are some um, investments that we're uh, planning to make uh, probably mid to late year. Uh, in our uranium assets with or without uh, Section 232. Uh, this is things like drilling down at Alta Mesa. Uh, we're still doing some of the test mining uh, for vanadium in the conventional mines at uh, LaSalle. We're opened up. So we're, 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 we're busy. We've got a lot of things going. Um, but it all kind of, you know, it's driven. We want, we want to maintain that strong balance sheet. We don't want to draw it down too much. And so we want to spend our money wisely. Well, Mark, uh, anything else you want to add for the audience? No, Andrew, it's just always good to have a chat with you and, um, you know, look forward to reporting back, uh, you know, next time you want to have me on. Absolutely. Likewise. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure.